This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Welcome to the program Warning with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, the founder and president of World Ministries International. Today, we're sharing a message by one of his associate pastors, Pastor Ty Gullstrom who shared the message, Standing Firm in the God of All Comfort. This message was recorded January 28, 2006. Now, let's begin. I want to recap something that we talked about on life groups. I'm not sure how many people were at the life groups. I know most of you attend. I put together a life lesson called The God of All Comfort. And that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 2 through 7, it says that grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, did you catch that part there? That's the part that when you read it, you kind of like don't meditate on. (laughs) Do you see that there? As the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. And from that in our life group, we talked about first Paul. Paul was the author of that passage. And the thing that you think about first is Paul, when he describes his own ministry, he describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23-28. He talks about all the things that happens to him in his ministry. And when you read that passage, it's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? When he talks about the persecutions and the beatings and the stonings and the shipwreck and the famine and the nakedness. Whenever he went, he was constantly having troubles and trials and persecutions. And yet he could write something like 2 Corinthians chapter 1 about the God of all comfort. See, one thing that is true is that only time you need comfort is when you're in distress, right? There's not too often you need comfort when you're comfortable. But Paul chose a path in his Christian walk that he knew that he was going to suffer. Remember the prophecy that was given him in Acts after he was converted? They talked about Paul, and he said, Paul, we'll see how much he has to suffer for my name. See, the Lord knew every suffering, every shipwreck, The Lord knew about every beating, every stoning, every famine, every nakedness, everything that happened, all the betrayals, the people that came against Paul. The Lord foresaw all of that. And he told him that you're basically going to suffer for my name, yet I will be the God of all comfort to you. So we talked about Paul and his troubles. We also talked about the fact that if you truly follow Jesus Christ, you will have trouble. Amen? Is that true? If you truly want to follow Jesus Christ, you are going to have trouble, my friend. If I make a determination in my heart to follow the Lord with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my determination, if I truly set my feet upon the rock and the Word of God is a standard of faith, I am going to have trouble. Is that true? 
If you read the scriptures, there's so many of them. We talked about John chapter 15 and Acts chapter 14 where Christ says, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Remember, if they hated you, Christ says, remember they hated me first. Right? Paul says that we are what? That we are the scum of the earth. When I think of that, I think of the thing on the bottom side of my shoe. The world looks at us as the scum of the earth. Why? Because Christ brings the crisis of truth. And truth divides. Do you realize that? Truth makes a demarcation, a separation, a line in the sand. Christ says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. Christ came, and in his ministry, he had a line. And when he drew that line of truth as being the author of truth, I tell you what, he made friends and he made enemies, didn't he? He says, you're either what, for me or you're against me. Right? And Paul had the same thing. He himself decided to follow the Lord with all that he had. And he was a bearer of truth. One thing that's comforting about it is when when you are truly persecuted for righteousness sake, not for foolishness sake. I've been persecuted because of my foolishness too. For doing stupid things. For not representing Christ the right way. To me, that is good persecution because usually hopefully that pulls you back to a place of a firm foundation in Christ. But if you are truly persecuted for righteousness sake, you know what your reaction can be? It can be to rejoice. Why? Because they're not persecuting you. They're persecuting Christ in you. Right? You're not coming to represent yourself. You are coming as an ambassador to Jesus Christ. It's not what my opinion is. It's not my religion or my relationship. This is Christ. And I have received Christ. And Christ is with me. And Christ is in you. And when you represent Christ, and there's persecution and trials, don't take it personally. Amen? Amen. It's not about you. When you're attacked, when there's persecution, when people come against you, don't worry about it. Is it hard? I'm not going to diminish it. It's hard, isn't it? But don't take it personally. They're reacting to truth. So if you're in your workplace and you represent Christ, next thing you know, there's some people at your workplace that shun you or they gossip against you or talk about you. And you know those people, don't you? I know them in my clinic. I know those people in my clinic. They're the ones that put on the cosmetic smile when I walk by. But inside, they're like, yeah, you read. You know that face, don't you? You know that face that people put on? And one thing that I promise you is really, the more you represent Christ, the more you're going to see that face. And I don't know how to describe it. I should have tried to get a picture of that face so I could show you what it is. But there's something about that face. They're just smiling at you. But how can someone, such a funny, strange thing, because they're smiling, it's like smiling angrily. How do you do that? How do you smile angrily? Because those, they do that. They smile angrily at you. It's, it's the eyes. Is it the eyes, maybe? It must be the eyes. Didn't Christ say the eyes is the what? The portal, basically? Maybe it's, the, maybe it's the eyes. So they're smiling with their face, and their eyes are like glowing with red. You know, that, that kind of thing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Maybe you guys haven't. I have several people around me in my clinic that they smile angrily at me. Now, I have some people that, you know, that genuinely, actually love the Lord. Amen? And they smile compassionately. But there's something about that smile. I'm going to try to get a picture one day with that smile. If I can somehow capture it. The smile, the angrily smile. But one thing is true is people that are around you, if you truly stand up for truth, see the crisis of truth is you have to respond to it. That's the crisis of it. You have to respond to truth. Isn't that right? You have to respond in some way to light. In the physical world and how God set it up, whenever light goes on, darkness must respond. Isn't that the truth? Darkness cannot say to light, "Uh, I don't want to move today. It always has to respond. Now, the thing about man is, man has this thing called a will, right? So we have an option of response. See, darkness has no option. God has made the earth in such a way that darkness always must respond the same way. But in us, we have the option. We are in sorts in darkness, right? And we are desiring for Christ to be the light in our life in a positive, perpetual way. 
He's always revealing darkness in our heart. That should be the cry of you're my heart. Is recognizing that I still have a closet in my heart. I still have this area of darkness in my heart. And I'm truly, like it says in John's epistle, I truly want to walk in the light as he is in the light. That is not a historical event. That's a perpetual walk. Always walking in the light. Allowing him to show darkness in my heart. Yeah? And I tell you what, if you do that, if you make a determination in your heart to walk in the light, what will happen in your life is you will be a bearer of light. This is what it's talking about in Matthew chapter 5 when he says you are the light, you are the salt of this earth. Salt affects the atmosphere around it, doesn't it? See, salt flavors, doesn't it? Salt does what? Salt preserves Back before refrigeration, they'd have to pack the meat with salt, right? To preserve it so it wouldn't spoil. See, you are the salt of this earth, and you affect the community around you. See, the meat must respond to that salt. You know nothing about salt? It makes someone thirsty, doesn't it? Amen? You are the salt of the earth. Go make people thirsty. Thirsty for what? A living relationship with Jesus Christ. The thing that they're going around looking for other ways, and we're going to talk about in a few minutes, the illegal versus legal ways that we find comfort in our lives. That's what you're causing them to be thirsty about. They're looking for things that the devil can rob, kill, and destroy, the things that rot, the things that are temporal, the things that bring just a temporary satisfaction. You're bringing them to the everlasting satisfaction. That's what we're to go out as salt, as light. But would you recognize there's a promise throughout Scripture that if you make it in your heart a determination to be true salt and true light, to truly live according to the word of God and the spirit of God within you, that you're going to have people that react negatively to the light in you. You're going to have troubles, my friend. You're going to have persecutions. Christ promised it. He promised that there will be many tribulations and many trials before you enter the kingdom of God. That's from Acts chapter 14, 21 and 22. There are many things you must endure, many persecutions that you must endure to enter the kingdom of God. So we talked about Christ brings the crisis of truth in our life. But one thing that's for sure is that in the midst of our troubles, there's this huge, pervasive communication from the Lord that He is your comfort. He is your comfort. And if He stands up and says to you, my child, I am your comfort, then it's necessarily true to say there are things that ought not be your comfort. Isn't that true? It's easy to say, okay, the Lord is my comfort, but when you start looking at your life and saying, how many things do I find comfort from? What kind of things are those? Is the Lord jealous in my life over how I find my comfort? Are the ways that I find comfort, are they legal ways? What do I mean by that? Are they scripturally based? Or are they illegal ways? Paul said it so clearly that nothing be your master. What does nothing exclude? Nothing to be your master. Save what? Your relationship with the Lord to be your master. Now Paul was not standing over your life and saying, if there's anything that you find in comfort apart from the Lord, that is a condemning statement. Paul recognized that this is a progressive type thing in the believer's life is to constantly allow the Lord to find and show areas in your life where you find comfort in illegal ways. And he'll ask you, may I exchange that? We sung about exchange today, didn't we? And that's what the Lord does. He woos you with himself. He puts himself and he says, here, this is what you've been eating. We'll talk about eating in a minute. (laughs) That's not what I was talking about here, though. He said, basically, this is your spiritual comfort and your spiritual... This is what you've been doing to find comfort, whatever that may be. He's saying, can I present something as an alternative? Myself. And it's always an option. It's never mandated. It's never forced upon you. He will only woo you with himself. He'll present a revelation of himself to your heart. And he'll ask you in such terms, will you make an exchange today? Will you exchange the way you're finding comfort for me, the God of all comfort? And the beautiful thing it is, like we read in 2 Corinthians, is that comfort is not just for yourself. Remember what the text said? He says he gives you comfort. Why? Well, to comfort yourself and then to comfort others. Everything that you receive from the Lord is supposed to be transmitted through you. 
Christ said it clearly. He says, freely you have received. Freely give. Everything that you get in a positive way, every spiritual blessing, every revelation of His character, every freedom that He brings to your life, every time there's bondage in your life and you find freedom in Christ, that is not only for your own sake. It's for the sake of people around you. Yeah? He doesn't just pour out all of His character and His blessings and His comfort and His love to me so I can just wallow in it for myself. He has a much greater thing in store, a much greater vision than just myself. Everything you receive from the Lord, allow it to be a conduit to extend to another. Because you know what happens? If you end up being a reservoir, a reservoir starts to stink, doesn't it? But if you allow yourself to truly be that conduit, coming in, yes, thank you, Lord, I needed that. Giving away. Freely receiving freely giving. He continues to pour out blessings to lavish upon you. Amen? So in our troubles, Christ brings comfort. I put seven or eight different scriptures there. And then we talked about, lastly, what I just covered just a moment ago, in others' troubles, we bring comfort. We have received and we give. It says in 1 John chapter 3, and verse 16-18, through 18, one of my favorite scripture verses, that talks about the true nature of love. Agape love. And my paraphrase says, if you see your brother in need, what kind of need? Who cares? Any kind of need. Is it financial need? Is it emotional need? Is it relationship need? What kind of need? It doesn't matter what kind of need. If you see your brother in need, that's all it says. It says what? Meet the need. First John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. He says basically in that scripture, the Lord is saying, if you see your brother in need, a need, it's obvious, it's tangible, it's right in front of you, but you don't meet the need. Then don't tell me that you're flowing in love. Right? He says, don't let your love be in word or in tongue, but what? In action and in truth. If you have to tell somebody I've loved you, you probably have not loved Because love is easy to see. It's action. It's truth. You don't have to tell me about it so much. I can see it. I know it. If it's truly love. Now, you better tell your wives you love them. (laughs) Amen? I'm not condemning saying it. But men, please don't just say it. Because if you just say it with your mouth, but don't do it, do you think your wives are tricked? Huh? You could say it 10 times a day. doesn't matter. They're not looking just for the word. They want the word if the action is there. Then they value and desire the word. But if you just give them the word, but you don't give them the action, the truth and the reality of your love, they really do not say it. Yeah? I'm presuming that, ladies. Help me out here. I only have one marriage and one wife. I'm just using that. That's basically the essence of what she tells me. She doesn't want me just to say, oh, honey, I love you. I love you, honey. Kind of like, you know, it's like on the phone, you know how we do? It's just the way we conclude a conversation. That's great and wonderful, only if it's true and it's it's something that she can tangibly see and experience in her daily walk with me. Right? That's why it says there, don't love with just words, your tongue. Love with action. And in truth, if you see a need around you, receive what the Lord has for you and give it away. If all of us right here in this building, if we could be efficient at that, at receiving everything God has for us and giving it away, I tell you what, you see marvelous things happening. Now, we're seeing some marvelous things. I'm just saying it would be so much more marvelous. That is truly the body of Christ in action. To receive and to give, to receive and to give. Not to receive, to receive, to receive, to receive. And I've used the analogy before, if my son is eating chocolate cake and he takes one bite of that chocolate cake and he says, Daddy, can I have more? I usually say what? Please finish what you got. Yeah? So often to the Lord, we say, Lord, I want more, 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 more. He says, I've given you some. You haven't even done nothing with that. Do something with the cake I've given you. Not just for yourself. Give it away. Why do I have to give you more cake? You already got cake. Give your cake away, and I'll give you more cake. Give yourself away. Paul said it this way. 
I pour out my life like what? A drink offering. What does that mean? He is the vessel. He is the jar of clay. He is just the container for the presence of God within him. Every spiritual blessing like he says there. When I receive comfort, it's to give comfort. Yeah. That is what the Lord is saying to us today. If you will have a heart to receive everything you can for the Lord. See, the Lord wants to meet your need and your trials and your tribulations. He wants to give you comfort and peace and love. He wants to give you all of that. That's fine. But he wants you to use you to give it away. And until you come to that place where you're willing to do that, he will not give you any more of himself because you already have enough that you cannot be responsible for. There's a stewardship principle in everything in the kingdom of God, isn't there? It's not just finances. It's about the very blessings and the very character of God that he reveals to you. That's probably the greatest value and asset that you're ever going to get, isn't it? It's the character of God. When that is revealed to you, you've got to give it away. You've got to bless people. He'll anoint you to do it. You don't have to worry about the anointing. It'll come. Why? Because he wants people to, to receive the comfort and the peace and the freedom. That's not a problem. The anointing comes when your heart is there to be poured out. Yeah? When you desire in your heart to be a conduit of the nature of God, don't worry about the anointing. <laughs> It'll come. Amen? Amen? I hope I don't take this too far out of context, but don't pray so much for anointing. Pray more for brokenness. Pray that you would have the courage to receive, to give. I'm not against praying for anointing necessarily, but... I'd rather see a person say, Lord, would you break me of myself so that I can see beyond myself and minister to people. You're going to see a transformation in your walk with Christ when that comes. So that's the synopsis of the life lesson. I say all that to say this. I want to read to you if I could. The Lord, as I was praying last night and this morning, he reminded me of something that I wrote for one of our World Ministries International newsletters. This is dated August 25th, 2004, about a year and a half ago. And it's one of those things where you write something and all you can remember is kind of like a couple of points and I didn't remember anything else about it. But he said, go find that and read it. And as I was reading it, it was just so perfect for me and for what's going on and what the Lord's doing in our midst. And it's short. Can I read it? It's not that long. I'll try to spice it up a little bit. It's called Standing Firm. And this whole birth out of the book the book was called, what was the book called? Streams in the Desert or something like that. And I read this poem in the book and it just tore my heart. I mean, it's one of those times where you, the Lord just takes down and he starts just molding and bending and refining. And I concluded the short article with that poem. And it's so perfect for me and for I think many of us right here. It's called Standing Firm. It says, as we look back upon our Christian lives, we inevitably realize that the greatest times of growth and maturity came as we experienced trials and hardships. Yet as true as this may be, I see in the church today an overwhelming trend to flee and to escape trials at any cost. There seems to be an unwritten doctrine abounding that believes that the Christian life ought to be easy and without tribulation. However, in the midst of this teaching, the pervasive word of God will always contradict such ideas. The Bible not only affirms the normalcy of trials in our lives, but it also predicts it and surrounds it with the idea that with faithfulness comes trials, testings, and persecution. We've already talked about many of those principles. It was the Lord who said to the Israelites, this is such an interesting thing to think about. The Lord said to the Israelites, he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Did you catch that? For 40 years, the Lord allowed. Now, remember here, we think, did the Lord allow that? Yeah, he did allow that, didn't he? Did he desire that? Did he desire that the Israelites be going back and forth in the desert for 40 years. No, no, no. He didn't desire that at all. That was not the perfect will of God, was it? But in his sovereignty, he allowed the nation to choose its course. And the same principle applied to them as it applies to you and me. All things can work together for the good 
of those who are in Christ Jesus. And so for those 40 years where they wandered and tried to decide who they're going to follow, the Lord says, I was testing you to show us in your heart whether or not you would keep the commands. Deuteronomy 8, 2. Though we are all familiar with the Exodus story and the parting of the Red Sea, we often fail to remember that it was the Lord himself who directed the Israelites to its shores. Listen to this. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was the shorter course. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Exodus 13, 17 through 18. Did you grasp that? I can see it in my mind because I'm somewhat familiar with geography of that land. I had to take all that class back in Bible college. But I know the two roads that he's talking about here. And there was a road that was so much easier in a direct path. It was one of the major trade routes from Egypt to the land of Canaan was the Egyptian road. And the Lord would not lead him that way. Why? Because he had something else in store, didn't he? He led him on a track, not straight to Canaan, but actually towards the south. They're trying to go what? They're trying to go northeast. What's going on here? The Lord's leading them in a different direction. It says it's the Lord that led them there. He didn't lead them to the easy path, the fast path, the path without trial or tribulation or persecution. That's not the path that he led them on. He purposely led them southeast towards the sea. Why? Because he wanted to test them to see what was in their heart. God is not always interested in the path of least resistance. For oftentimes it is the path of struggle and longevity that produces the desired results. Recall Jesus' reaction when hearing that his close friend Lazarus was on his deathbed. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. John eleven six. See, frequently God will put in us situations so as to give opportunity to test us. The principle in Scripture is the Lord does not tempt you, but the Lord does test you. Isn't that true? When you look at even the life of Jesus Christ, there's wonderful symbology between the Old Testament and the New. We just read about how he allowed the Israelites to go out in the desert for how many years? Forty years. For the purpose of what? Testing. It says in the New Testament, and we know that Jesus Christ, after he was baptized in the River Jordan, he went out into a desert-like experience for how long? Forty days. And it says in the New Testament, it was a test. Amen? Jesus representing the people of God. God tested him back then. It took him 40 years to finally become faithful. Jesus Christ led into the desert like experienced, tested for 40 days, temptation all around him, his own natural desires and needs, emotional needs. You know what? It's, it's one thing to fast 40 days. It's one thing to fast three days. But to fast and be in solitude is a whole different thing. I learned that the hard way. Because what happens is when you're fasting food, that is one component, food. But you know what? You were created for a need for interaction and fellowship. You know that? And when you're fasting that too, it is exponentially harder. Jesus Christ went 40 days with not just no food, but no fellowship, no interaction, no communion. Amen? Some people in this room probably think it's hard to go half a day without having any interaction with anybody or a day, or two days. Can you imagine a whole week we had no interactions with nobody? On the surface, you might say, hallelujah. (laughs) There's times where I say, Lord, bring me somewhere where I don't have to talk to nobody for a week. But you know what would happen if he said, okay. I'd be looking at my clock about two hours after it started, and then it'd be six hours and eight hours, and I finally make it through the first day, and I wake up, and no one's around. I wouldn't last very long. We have such a need for each other. Such a need for interaction and fellowship. I challenge you, try fasting for just three days and have no interactions with anybody for three days. It is exponentially harder. You see, if I'm around here, I can fast for three days and it's not that big of a deal. But a couple of years ago, I decided to go up into the mountains for a couple of days and fast 
and have no fellowship, I tell you what, I found out how weak I was. When you have the security of relationships around you, it's a support, it's a strength. The Lord was tested for 40 days. 40 days. No food, no fellowship. What a test. And he was faithful, amen? Praise the Lord. He was faithful. So frequently God will put us in situations to give us opportunities to test us. Yet we must understand that his testings are not capricious, for in them he desires to perfect our faith. He's not doing them just to razz you up. He's not doing them just to tease you. or to, he, He's doing it because he loves you. He's doing it because he wants you to be. He wants to stir up the waters in such a way, like putting a tea bag in the hot water, right? If you're always living in cold water, the contents of your heart, you can guard and protect it. But when the heat's turned up, that tea bag starts coming out, Amen. Hallelujah. Sometimes he allows the testing of a little hot water to see what's in our heart, to test our heart, to see if he'll keep his commands. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, These trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result. Look at the results he's looking for here. Praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's why they're not capricious. Do you see what he wants? Do you see what he desires from our lives? Honor and glory and love and peace. Why? Because all of us need it from each other. That's why he wants to test us. That's why he wants to perfect us for one another. The glory that comes in me through testings and trials, they can benefit you and yours benefit me. That's why we can rejoice in our trials. You see, by leading the Israelites to the Red Sea, the Lord was placing them in a position of testing. Not only did he lead them to the Red Sea, but he kept them there until Pharaoh and his mighty army had sufficient time to catch up with them. Did you catch that? He had them go and camp at the edge of the Red Sea. The Israelites had no idea that Pharaoh was coming. And the Lord kept them right there. Oh, hallelujah, amen. He kept them right there at the edge of the Red Sea. They thought, this is great. We're camping, we're on a vacation, hallelujah. We've escaped from Pharaoh's reach. We've left the bondage of slavery of whatever it was, 430 years, and here we are, praise God. And the Lord is just putting them there as the Lord looks back and sees this the most powerful army on earth coming closer day by day. Did you ever think about that? That's what the Lord did. See, remember the Israelites would only move camp as a pillar of fire and cloud would lead them. And just as Pharaoh hardened his heart and contemplated a pursuit of the Israelites, God could have moved that pillar of fire and led Israel to a place of safety. Yet he did not. We must come to terms with the understanding that the safest place is in the hands and the will of Christ himself. Hallelujah. When the Israelites saw the pursuing Egyptians marching after them, it says in Exodus 14.10 that they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. In the midst of their fear, they grumbled against their God-given leader and accused him of a suicide expedition. How do we respond to the fiery tests of our lives? Do we flee in the direction of logical deduction? Do we begin to slander and accuse those around us so as to dispel our personal responsibility to endure? Are we taken and driven by our emotions to a place of depression or anxiety? Moses had learned that God is the fighter of life's battles. Amen. It wasn't the Israelites against the Egyptian army. It was the Lord against the Egyptian army. And when you think that it's your battle, you have good reason to be afraid. Because you cannot stand the tests of the fiery darts of this enemy. You must have the armor of God. You must have God himself fighting before you. There is anxieties and fears and depressions when you forget that it's not your battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. If you will put yourself in a position 
behind Christ and follow him at his word. Even if he leads you to the edge of a sea and you're caught between a sea and a mighty army and your temptation is to run, your temptation is to do anything you can to get out of the situation if you will simply recognize that the Lord has not left you. The Lord is going to fight the battle for you. So though he had tried to escape his commission to redeem the Hebrews from the land of Egypt, he quickly came to the grips of who God said he is. I am that I am. The Lord assured Moses that he would be whatever Moses needed at the pinnacle of his need. It was only with this revelation that Moses could faithfully face the most powerful nation on earth and confront Pharaoh with the command of the Lord to let my people go. Surrounded by throngs of fearful and grumbling people, Moses made this most amazing declaration. You've got to try to visualize it as best as you can. They've just been released from bondage. Wonderful signs and wonders of what God did. All the plagues. They got all the silver and gold, and now they're out there. They've been several days out in the wilderness. They're camped by the sea. They think things are great. The next thing they know, here comes Pharaoh's army. And now they're grumbling and complaining and slandering and accusations against Moses. And this is what Moses said. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, the Egyptians that you see today, whatever trial and tribulation you're going through right now, that's the Egyptian. Just transplant your current trial with the word Egyptian. Amen? And this is what the Lord is saying to us today. If you will simply stand firm. See, that's what you have to desire. That's what you got to do. You can flee. That's an option. Paul said it perfectly. All things are what? Permissible. But not all things are beneficial, profitable. He gives you the option. You go. You can go on that, that Egyptian. You can go on the path that leads right to it. No trials, no tribulation, no problem. You can choose at any time you want. He will allow you to do it. You can be paralyzed in fear and anxieties and depressions. That is an option. He will allow you to do that. Or you can, with Moses, when your army, that Egyptian army is coming, whatever trial and tribulation it is that's coming at you, you can stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. And you can say like with Moses, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being trapped by the Red Sea and this huge army coming at you? And they're just flying at you with their chariots and their horses. And you know how loud that would have been? You know how loud chariots and horses, you put a several thousand of them coming at you and they're screaming and yelling. You know how loud and intimidating that was? And then Moses rises up, see on one side, this huge army coming at you. And he says, look around, guys. See these Pharaoh and his mighty army here? These guys that you see today, you will never see again. Can you imagine that? There's two things that you could do right then. You could believe Moses or you could stone him to death. Amen. Amen? You'd be like, you're psychotic, Moses. You are psychotic. We need to give you some, some howl We need to give you something here because you are truly out of your mind. That would be one way to address the situation. There's something going on in your life, Moses. You are nuts. You are crazy. How can you tell me this, this huge army that's coming at us, all the chariots and the horses, and their spears drawn, that you'll never see them again? Stand firm. The hard part about that is, I don't know what I would have said. <laughs> I like to say, oh, I would have said, yeah, Moses, yes, you're right. I don't know. I'd like to tell you that I would say that, but I'm not sure. That really tests my heart. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to test your heart, okay? That's supposed to test your heart. You're supposed to put yourself in a position right then. What would you have done if Moses would have said that to you? Don't worry, stand firm. You're never going to see these guys again. But I can make it much more tangible for you. You know how? Because you have your own army coming against you. Just think of that for a second. Think about how you're dealing with the persecutions and the trials and the tribulations of your life right now. Think about that. Think about the greatest stressor in your life, the greatest trial that's going on in your life right now. Think about that. And then think about this word that I give to you today. Stand firm. 
See the deliverance of the Lord in your life. And I tell you what, it's not going to be long, and you're never going to see that again. Yeah? Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And then he says this, you need only to be still. Oh, I could preach a long time on this part. Do you recognize everything within those Hebrews? They wanted to run. They wanted to start jumping in that Red Sea and start swimming as fast as they could. They wanted to maybe commit suicide, some of them. I'm serious. If you're trapped between a sea and the biggest army coming at you, it sounds pretty good just to stick an old dagger in the heart, doesn't it? I'm not going to let them kill me. It's kind of like Saul. He didn't want the enemies of the Lord to get him. So he said, just, hey, just run a spear through me. Guy wouldn't do it. He just falls on his own spear. I tell you what, there was pandemonium about ready to break through right there. There was people wanting to run. They're all of a sudden like, I'm not a very good swimmer, but the options are small. I'm jumping in that sea. They're about ready to kill themselves, I bet. Kill Moses first, then kill themselves. But I tell you what, all these things are going on, and then Moses rises up and says, all you need to do is be still. Oh, I tell you what. That's a challenge, isn't it? And the Lord is saying that to us today. Whatever your trial, your tribulation is, you don't need to run. You don't need to be depressed. You don't need to be fearful or anxious. You just need to stand fast, see the deliverance of the Lord, and whatever you do, stay still. Because as soon as you start moving, you'll muck the whole thing up. You'll muck it up. You will muck it up if you try to find your own deliverance, your own salvation, your own freedom. You can't do it. That's the key. You can do nothing. You can contribute nothing. And one of the hardest things for us to do is to be still and do nothing. Think about that word. Meditate on this thing. Surrender. Amen? What's a picture of surrender look like? It looks like Isaac. Amen? On the altar. It looks like a father telling his son, son, please get up on this altar. And the son doing it. That is surrender. That is stillness. That is trust and seeing the salvation of the Lord with the confidence and the faith. See, Abraham, Abraham had a confidence that a sacrifice would be given. Do you understand that? He had faith that a sacrifice would be given. He stood fast and stood firm and he was still. Why? To see the salvation of the Lord. To see the Lord's answer to give a sacrifice to fight the battle. Like you've probably heard a million times, the Lord had already prepared the ram and it was coming up the backside of the hill as he laid his son on that altar. The provision was already made for you. Every provision that you need for your trials, those tumultuous times, those, those stormy times, God has already sent his son. He has already sent the sacrifice in Jesus Christ. He has already walked up the hill of Golgotha and placed his life on that cross. It's already been dealt with for you. You don't have to pray that a deliverer comes. He has come. You must only stand firm and stand still so you can see the salvation of the Lord. As soon as you start walking and doing things and trying to figure it out yourself, I tell you what, he will wait until you're still. Amen? What does it mean to stand firm and be still? It certainly does not mean that we are to passively surrender or sit idly by expecting the Lord to work apart from our faithful obedience. In the very next verse, the Lord commands Moses to tell the Israelites, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on the dry ground. See, one thing that's always true is that the Lord will allow you and mandate that you play your part. Standing firm and being still doesn't mean laying over and dying. It means being faithful, amen? When they finally got into the land and had to go against all the cities, the fortified cities, here is this ragtag bunch of Hebrew boys that have been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. And now this ragtag bunch that doesn't have already any kind of swords or nothing, the Lord says, I'm going to give you this whole land and you're going to overcome all these fighting armies. Standing still and being firm to them, this didn't mean they sat down on their haunches to watch the Lord devour all the enemies. They had to go forth, didn't they? 
They had to go forth and be faithful and obedient. And he says, if you do that thing, I will win the battle for you. I will destroy those fortified cities if you only do your part. That's standing firm. And that's being still. Being still in what? In the presence of God. If God is moving in a direction and you're standing here, that's not remaining in the, in the presence of God. That's not standing fast or firm. Standing fast and firm means when the cloud, the pillar of cloud or fire starts traveling, that you travel with it. When the Holy Spirit starts leading you in a direction of salvation and deliverance for that trial, you must flow with it. You have the part to play. You must move on. Standing firm and being still speak of faithful reliance on the character of God in the midst of trials. We are to stand firm on the promises of God and trust Him to see us through our difficulties. We are to bring our emotions into stillness and take every thought and emotion into captivity and obedience to Jesus Christ. This stillness of Moses stands in direct opposition to the succumbing fear of Saul as the Philistines assembled to fight Israel. As the Israelite army began running off in fear, Saul compromised the command of Samuel to wait for him and instead offered a sacrifice which was only permitted by the priesthood. This act of rebellion and faithlessness cost Saul his kingship. We need not be a people who tremble at the sound of Pharaoh's army. Amen? You do not have to tremble at the trials and the circumstances and the fiery furnaces of your life. You, when you hear those, that huge army coming, when you see the onslaught of the enemy, when you see the circumstances start coming against you and you feel like you have no way out, you do not need to tremble at the sound of Pharaoh's army. Our faith should not be dependent upon circumstances, nor should our lives be governed by things that appeal to our senses. In our lives, we will find ourselves between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. But in the midst of this, we can praise the name of Jesus as he promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Directly after God led them through the Red Sea and swallowed up their pursuers, the Israelites broke out in songs and praise before the Lord. Psalm 106 and verse 12 states that after God delivered his children to the other side of the Red Sea, quote, then they believed his promises and sang his praise. Did you catch that? Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. See, their faith was dependent upon the natural senses and not upon the word of the Lord. God desires that his children praise his name in the midst of trials, testings, and persecutions, For in this we demonstrate our trust and security in Christ alone. It is when we come to the end of ourselves that Christ miraculously intervenes and opens the sea to victory. That is when you will see it. They had to come to the end of themselves. Amen? Amen. See, there was no need to come to the end of themselves before Pharaoh's army came. That's why he allowed Pharaoh's army to come and sat his people right there. Because he wanted his people to come towards the end of themselves to come to the beginning of Christ. He brought crisis to test their hearts. We must learn to stand firm and be still and see the salvation of our Lord. Before Israel knew there was a problem, God knew. Did you catch that? Before Israel knew, before the crisis came to the Hebrew boys and girls, Jesus Christ knew about it. Before you are given the diagnosis of cancer or met a financial challenge, he will be a faithful to bless you as you remain in him. The Lord richly bless you as you praise him in the stillness of your faith. And I want to read, as we conclude, a poem that I found in that book. The author is Julius Sturm. It says, Pain's furnace, heat within me quivers. God's breath upon the flame doth blow. And all my heart in anguish shivers and trembles at the fiery glow. And yet I whisper, as God will, and in the hottest fire hold still. He comes and lays my heart all heated on the hard anvil minded so. 
into his own fair shape to beat it with his great hammer, blow by blow. And yet I whisper, as God will, and at his heaviest blows, hold still. He takes my softened heart and beats it. The sparks fly off at every blow. He turns it o'er and o'er and heats it and lets it cool and makes it glow. And yet I whisper, as God will, and in his mighty hand, hold still. Why should I murmur? For the sorrow thus only longer lived should be. The end may come and will tomorrow when God has done his work in me. And so I say trusting as God will and trusting to the end, hold still. This is what the Lord is asking of you and me. In the times of greatest trial, hold firm and be still. Because that is the time and the only time that the greatest molding and shaping of your life will occur. You have the option and it is permissible to do anything but that. You can run. You can internalize. You can be depressed and anxious and fearful. You can find your own way out. You can even use his name to do it. But the bottom line is, that is your hour of greatest potential blessing is in the midst of of that trial. Don't be fearful or anxious about the sound of Pharaoh's army. But like it says throughout the scriptures, rejoice and praise the Lord because this is the hour of your greatest blessing. Testing comes for your benefit and not for your destruction. The Lord loves you and cares about you. He would never hurt you for the sake of hurting you. His love is not capricious, but it is everlasting. Put yourselves in the hands of Christ today. Come to the end of yourself so you can become to the beginning of Jesus Christ. There are so many ways that we can find needs met in our comforts met. Isn't that right? And I end by saying this. We all have needs and we all need comfort. That is a tangible and a right desire. We have been created by God for needs, and for comfort. And the Lord wants to challenge us today. Will you let him meet your comfort, meet your needs? Jack Frost in his lesson told us about the four essential needs of every person. You remember them? Unconditional love, purpose, security, praise, and affirmation. You have been designed by God for those needs. Those needs can never be wrong because God created them in you. You are needy and desirous of unconditional love. Love that says, I will love you despite your actions, despite your responses. It is love that goes out without the hook on it. You are designed and created to be praised and to be affirmed. You were created for that desire for security and for purpose. God designed you with those needs. Those needs are never wrong. But we have a choice in how we receive those needs. Amen? Jack Frost called them legal versus illegal ways. The Lord says, I want to comfort you. I want to be the God of all comfort for your life. We have a choice. There are so many illegal ways that we can find our needs met and our comforts met. We can do them by counterfeit affections. We can do them by addictions. We probably shouldn't spend that much time on that, should we? (laughs) Maybe we should just carry on. (laughs) Because I don't know about you, but I can find guilt when I read that. We find we have legitimate needs and needs of comfort and needs of affirmation and needs of unconditional love and we find them oftentimes in addictions. What kind of addictions? It doesn't matter. A lot of men find their comfort in what? Sports, that's one. What's another one? Cars, another. How about another one? Pornography. You see, most men that that engage in stuff like pornography, it's not because they're a bunch of lustful bastards. It's because they have a need unmet. And they have not found a legal way to find affirmation and praise and unconditional love. What's one that women often go to for comfort? 
Food. Men are guilty there too. (laughs) Women do that a lot. How do you see it? One way I see it is how many women were abused as children. I see them in the clinic all the time. Right? And you see them 20 years later, 30 years later, 40. I remember talking to a lady that was about 85 years old and she was abused when she was a child. And to see 70, 75, 80 years of history has gone by and to watch her talk about this thing. It's like it was yesterday. It was amazing to me. But we find addiction in food for comfort. And the Lord does not stand condemned. One thing that I believe truly, and I say this sincerely from my heart, whether you're a person that has a slavery addiction to pornography or whether it's to chocolate cookies, can I say something to you that I hopefully will be taken in context? I hopefully it's right to. The Lord does not judge one from the other as different. Doesn't that stand against everything that seems natural? The Lord says, oh, that addictive comfort, that's okay. That one, oh, you bastard. You, you sick, perverse. You know, that's the way we judge. That's not the way he judges. We put names and identities, and this is permissible sin, unpermissible sin. Oh, permissible addiction, unpermissible addiction. Oh, it's not affecting anyone else. It's just affecting me. Lie. If I'm addicted to pornography, you know, it's, it's affecting a lot of people other than me. The first person it's affecting is my relationship with the Lord, but then from there, it's desperately affecting my relationship with my wife. It affects a lot more people. Those chocolate brownies, they seem so innocent, don't they? Amen? But I guarantee that whatever addiction you might have, that's an illegal addiction, meaning the Lord desires to meet your need and your comfort. And you've found other ways to find it. doesn't matter what it is. The Lord was asking you today, would you make an exchange? I've told you this story about a pastor's wife that I deeply respect in Mercer Island. Her husband, the pastor of the church, told me that she was really struggling with an addiction to caffeine. I'm raising my hand because I'm guilty. Guilty. And he said... She struggled with it, and she'd go off it for two weeks, and she'd find herself right back on it, and she was just really kind of struggling with this because she knew that her body was crying out for it, and she needed it. It was true. She needed her caffeine. So as soon as you, see, you use that word, need, any, need, 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 okay, addiction, okay? I need my caffeine. Okay, I'm addicted. Okay, all right. Amen? If you need, if it's not, if you can't just say, I want it, but you need it. That's a red flag. Red flag, you know? I need it. I need this car. I need this dress. I need this, this cookie. I need this pornography. Whatever, if you need it. That's an addiction, amen? And he told the story. He says, she struggled with it for years. And she was condemned by it. It was a battle. And if for her, it was Pharaoh's army. For her, it's this huge thing that she struggled with. And he says, one day, he doesn't understand it. It was just a regular church service and she came forward and she knelt at the altar and she exchanged it. And she's never touched it since. My flesh says, that doesn't make sense. I gotta, don't have to fast for a week to break that addiction. Right? Don't, don't have to get into like asceticism and, and start slashing myself or do something. Don't I have to do something? Don't I have to do it? Don't I have to go in the wilderness or do something or hail Mary or do something? There's something I got to do here to break this addiction and to find my comfort from the God of all comforts. When it comes down to it, be still. Be still and stand firm and make an exchange to the Lord. My flesh hates that. I want to do something. I want to do it myself. I can break this addiction. The Lord says, no. You can't break that addiction but I can exchange it for myself. I can meet the need that is producing that addiction. That's putting the ax to the root. Let's stop polishing ugly fruit on our trees. You know what I'm saying? You've been in that place where you have an addiction, and oh, you did it. You you ate that apple. You did whatever it was. You did it, and you feel crummy, and you feel condemned, and you feel like something on the bottom of the shoe, and you just you kind of pull back, and you hide behind your bush for a day or two before then the feelings will slowly subside, and you go through the process again, and then four or five days later, oh, you did it again. Oh, condemnation, condemnation. The devil doesn't play fair. He'll throw in a few things there too, huh? Oh, you're you nasty. You oh you perp. Oh you. You know, whatever, whatever he tells you. 
And then you go through that cycle, and then two, three days later, the emotions fall away, and then, oh, everything's so good and good. Has anyone ever done that? I, oh, I've done that. The Lord says, I want to exchange. I want to meet the need that's producing the addiction. He wants to do that in your life. Possessions, positions, titles, achievements, power, control are all wrong answers for what? For right needs. The need is right. The comfort is needed. The affirmation is needed. The purpose for your life is needed. The unconditional love that maybe you didn't receive as a child. It's a need. And the Lord says, can I come and meet that need? You don't have to worry about the addiction. Get your eyes off the addiction and get it upon the Lord. See, the devil would like to keep your eyes on the fruit, on the external, on the thing that's on the external, everyone else you can see. But you've got to recognize that there's a need unmet, and he will meet it for you. Stand firm. Don't run. Don't look to other things, but look unto the Lord. He desires to do a marvelous thing in your midst and a marvelous thing in the lives of people in this church. It's a choice. It is permissible to run. It is permissible to be depressed or anxious. It is permissible, but it's not beneficial. Will you make the determined declaration to God today that whatever Pharaoh's army is for you, maybe you have three or four of them. Maybe you've got a bunch of armies running against you. Yeah? Yeah? What I found in my life is maybe there's multiple armies, but all you can see is one. And if you let God deal with that one, then you'll see the other one, and God will lead you precept by precept by precept into the land of Canaan, abounding with fruit, honey, milk, beautiful things. But you must make a declaration to stand firm, to not run, to let him do his work, lay your life on the anvil, and let him hit you blow by blow. The sparks are going to fly. Amen? It's horribly terrific. But don't get off that anvil. Stay on it until he's done. And you'll come up free. Free from addiction. Free from depression. Free from anxieties and fears. Hold fast and draw nigh unto the Lord. Amen? I want to give you an invitation as we conclude this song today to make that declaration to the Lord today. Recognize the desires that he has for you, the plans that he has for you. They're good. They're lovely. If you have things about your life that you're not comfortable with, addictions that have been a hard thing for, it doesn't matter if it's been two years or 50 years. It does not matter. The Lord can exchange himself for your need today. The Lord desires to meet your needs, to give you the desires of your heart. Would you let him do it today? As we conclude the song, come. Come as an external manifestation of the inwardness of your heart saying, I choose to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Let your coming forward be your external exclamation. You don't have to, and if you don't, it doesn't matter. But if you want, come and spend some time here with the Lord and make that declaration to Him. Make an exchange today. Now here is my friend, Scott Farah, and he's going to help you with your business. Scott? Jesus teaches us that we should never do anything without making a plan first. Most small business owners fail to follow this biblical principle and do not have a written plan for where they want to be in one year, three years, five years. Yet every large business has a written plan. Many who wish to start their own businesses do not develop a plan first. This is one of the major reasons that 80% of all small businesses fail within the first five years. God worked through me to develop a unique educational program for business people. Quite frankly, this program has changed people's lives. If you currently own a business, or if you're thinking about going into business for yourself, you need the Independence Program. Visit our website, independenceprogram.training, and if you choose to purchase this unique educational program, make sure that you use promo code WMI. It will give you a 5% discount. 
So if what you have just heard resonates with you, and if you care and you want to be an unsung hero, I implore you, please take a few seconds to call us today and leave a message with a short prayer for us. Because we need to know that you are with us and care enough to be part of the spark with us so that together we can move God to send a great awakening that can reverse the inevitability of God's coming judgment according to what God spoke in Jeremiah 18, 7, and 8. We believe that if you joined hands with us, together we can save America from certain catastrophic judgment. So call now, okay? Dial 360-629-5248 and say a short prayer for us in your message and leave your phone number too, okay? So one more time, 360-629-5248. Thank you and God bless.